Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. I remember when Haley and I were dating and I went to visit her family for the first time, whether it was her family here or her family that lives up near Birmingham. I remember being in a room filled with other men who, uh, I remember asking the question, do I fit in here? Because I was in a room filled with a lot of men who worked with their hands, they wore boots, they hunted, and about the manliest thing that I did, especially at that time, was I could change my own oil in my car. I said, I could. I didn't say I did, but I could. And I just remember asking the question as I was gathering with her family, where do I fit? Like, do I fit in with this family? And her family had to be thinking, what in the world have you brought to this house, uh, this city boy? But it's a question may have asked, maybe it was your first day at a new school and you're surrounded by new people, where do I fit? Or maybe your first day at a new job and you met your coworkers and you're trying to get to know them and you're wondering, where do I fit in here? I bet you asked it the first time you came here, which by the way, if today is your first time to be with us, welcome, we're glad you're here. And it's possibly a question that you've asked or are asking, where do I fit? It's one of life's most important questions because it's really a question of belonging. And we've talked about belonging recently. I'll review a little bit of that. Belonging is a perception-based value. And what that means is that no one can make you feel like you belong. You have to decide that you belong because you all of a sudden feel like you belong. And there are different things that can help you feel that way, but no one can make you feel like you belong. But there's this desire within each of us to belong. It's why when we were younger, we did all kinds of crazy things like there's pictures we tried to hide, the evidence that they because of things we wore when we were in maybe middle school or high school. It's why you're... Uh, music choices changed just overnight. You weren't a country music fan, but now you are a country music fan, or you swore it off because your friends don't listen to that, and you've changed something because you want to fit in with that group of people. You're trying to find the place that you belong. It's often why, if this is you, I hope that you'll challenge yourself with this, but it's sometimes why we can act one way when we're at school or we're at work, and we can act another way when we're at home, and we can act a different way when we're at church. Because we just are trying to figure out where do I fit and we change accordingly. But the opposite of belonging or what happens when you don't feel like you belong is actually another perception-based value. And that is the value, the feeling of loneliness. And loneliness is perception-based because it's not based on who's around. You can be in a room filled with people and still feel lonely. In fact, it's been said that to feel lonely and to experience that feeling for a long time is the equivalent on your mortality of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And in fact, the most lonely group research shows us today that the most lonely age group of people, it actually might shock you, the group of people that feels the most lonely is actually those ages 16 to 24. It's become a pandemic 
of loneliness. And so what did we do as a society? We said, we've got an answer to loneliness. What do we do so that every person feels connected all the time? We created this thing called social media. That will fix the cure. That'll be the cure to loneliness. Nobody will ever feel lonely again. And so these social media sites began and it all started. And I want to give you the tagline of some of these social media sites. Who was on MySpace? I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I got a few MySpacers in the room. MySpace's tagline was a place for friends. That sounds like it's a place to no longer feel lonely. Facebook, their little tagline was Facebook will help you connect and share with people in your life. Snapchat said it's the quickest way to share a moment. My favorite, because it's the most ironic, is TikTok's tagline. Their tagline is literally make every second count. Now think about that. Make every second count on a service that wastes more time, maybe, than any of them. And here's what we learned. What we have learned, because the research is in, is that social media did not cure our problem with loneliness. In fact, it only exasperated it even more. Because the results from social media have, have been that it's left us more distracted. It's left us more disconnected. And it's actually made us feel even more lonely. And so, asking that question, where do I fit in a world that is struggling more and more with loneliness is actually a great problem that can be fixed and can be remedied through Jesus Christ and his people. And so in a world where people are more and more every day feeling more lonely, this church, our church, and every church across the world should stand as a beacon of light in the midst of a dark world, letting people know this is a place to belong. Isn't that what God created the world to be? And the reason why the church can become this beacon of light is because there are three things that help you feel like you belong. The first one is safety. And we want to do everything that we can to provide physical safety, but also emotional safety. And yeah, I know that there have may have been times in your past where your feelings and your emotions have been hurt by people that are in the church. And my guess is your feelings and emotions have probably been hurt by people who are not in the church. And because humans are involved, there's going to be some type of hurt. But that kind of safety is something that we want to cherish and something that we want to protect. But another thing that helps us feel like we belong is called shared experience. And we're all sharing the experience of life together. Think about what Paul wrote when he said in 1 Thessalonians, he said that I desire not just to teach you the gospel, but to share our lives with you. It's about sharing experiences, whether it be serving together, whether it be worshiping together, going on mission trips, whether it be coming together uh, to do something like a go day or a go or just simply gathering together to study God's word, sharing meals together. We're sharing our lives with one another. And then the third way that we feel like we belong is when we've been made to feel significant. And we'll talk about how in the body of Christ, every member is significant. And that's why the church should truly stand as this beacon of light in the midst of a dark world that's struggling with loneliness, saying this is a place where you don't have to feel lonely, a place where you can belong. Because belonging is really God's idea. And so just two ideas that I want to share with you this morning. It doesn't mean we're going to get out early. Just I simplified it to two ideas. The first one is that you belong with God. This word is a short little 
four letters. It's a word that you probably use all the time. You don't really think about, but this word has serious theological ideas behind it. The entire story of the Bible could be summed up in a three-word phrase, God with us. You open your Bible to page one and you read in Genesis chapter one where God creates this beautiful world. It's majestic. It's perfect. Everything in it, he says, is good. And then in chapter two, he plants this garden inside of Eden and he takes these image bearing humans that he's told us about. He's created in chapter one and he places them in this garden in chapter two for the purpose of living with them. God is walking with them in the garden and the idea is that God is dwelling with his humans inside of this garden. But then in chapter three, there's this tempter that shows up. And he convinces the man and the woman to eat the fruit that God had told them not to eat so that they could be like God. But it was all a great lie because they were already like God. They were made in his very image. And it's the first story of many to come that you and I will also repeat of humans rejecting God's offer of love and relationship. And the more God draws near, the more we push him away because he desires to be with his people. You keep reading through the story of the Old Testament and you come across this uh, building, this structure that they were to make called a tabernacle, this mobile tent, this mobile temple where they could take God's presence with them er everywhere because he wanted to dwell with them. You keep reading and that tabernacle becomes a more permanent structure in the form of the temple of God's presence dwelling among them. You read in the New Testament and you read in the Gospel of John, one of the most profound things ever written that the word became a human being. This is God in the flesh and he lived here with us. We saw his true glory, the glory of the only son of the father. From him came these complete gifts of undeserved grace and truth that have come down to us because God wants to dwell with his people so much that he was willing to enter this world in the form of Jesus Christ. And he didn't just come here and live kind of separated from us. He lived with us, meaning that he experienced everything this life has to offer. Jesus experienced laughter and joy. He experienced pain and rejection. Raymond talked about that betrayal of friends. He experienced suffering. He experienced life. He experienced death. He went through everything that we endure as human beings, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually. He endured it all because he wanted to dwell with us. And right before he ascended back into heaven in some of the most intense teachings left for us in John 14 through 16. He told the, his disciples and a promise to us that he would send his spirit that would dwell not only with us, but in us so that we never have to doubt, God, are you with me? Is his spirit within you? Are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. God is always with you. Right before he ascended back into heaven in Matthew 28, Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Y'all, this, this is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Like if your mind is not blown just by the songs that we've sung, by the supper that we just enjoyed together and the bread that we broke and the fruit of the vine that we partook of, if your hearts weren't melted by our children that are just so gracious and loving and generous in their giving and how they remind us 
then this should just make your heart break in awe and wonder, God, you want to be with me? And the very end of the story of the Bible is of this vision of the new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride, adorned for her husband. And there's this line in Revelation 21 and 22 that says God would dwell with his people. No more separation. We will be in the presence of God for all of eternity because God wants to be with us. You belong with God. That should blow your mind. That should make you walk out of here regardless of what's going on in your life, at least with a sense of confidence and a perspective that whatever it is that's going on in your life that brings you to your knees, the idea that God wants to be with you should stand you back on your feet and allow you to take another step and to keep going until that moment where you see Jesus face to face. Isn't that beautiful? You belong with God. And because you belong with God, you belong with God's people. Now, Grayson read for us a beautiful text and there's a couple things that we can take away from what he read to us in Romans chapter 12. And he read verses 3 through 5. I actually want to kind of work backwards of verses 5 through 3 because I think they're really, really significant. In verse 5, he read to us of what Paul wrote in Romans 12, that we belong to each other. And he uses this image that's just it's genius of what Paul does. He takes the church and he describes the church as a body, as a human body, but as the body of Christ. And you think about your body. There are certain things that your body does, certain members of your body that have certain strengths and abilities and even have certain weaknesses. Yet when it all comes together, it functions perfectly and beautifully. Like, have you ever thought about there are certain things that you don't do because you don't expect your body to be able to do that? Like, when you're getting ready to take a drink of water, you don't grab the bottle or cup of water with your feet. Have you ever thought about that? You don't. Usually grab it with your hands. If you've ever tried to grab water with your feet, that's going to be really difficult. Now, unless you have insane flexibility, if you're like me, it's never going to, you're never going to be able to make that to your mouth. You just don't bend that way. Things don't work out like that. But can you imagine just trying to hold a glass of water with your feet and then you drop it and then fussing at your toes? You're like, come on, toes, get it together. Hold that glass of water like you know you're supposed to. You wouldn't do that. That would be insane because you don't expect your feet to do things that your hands were created to do. Just like you don't walk on your hands. If you ever try to do a handstand, you might can do it for a little bit till the blood rushes to your brain and you fall down because you weren't made to walk on your hands. So you would never fuss at your hands for not being able to walk and carry all of your body weight. Each member of the body was created with a different purpose, yet it comes together beautifully. And every member belongs to the body because it is a member of the body. So if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you belong here. You belong here because you belong to Jesus. And one of the areas that we can always grow, always grow, is in the area of hospitality. I'm not talking about the hotel business. I'm not talking about opening up a restaurant. I'm talking about the biblical concept of hospitality. It's a thread that runs all throughout the story of the Bible. 
Because hospitality is near to the heart of God. The word hospitality in the Bible means to welcome a stranger. And we're not talking about like stranger danger, protect your children. We're talking about a person who is an outsider. And I don't like the language of outsider versus insider, but I want to use it this morning because of a definition that I heard recently that I thought was really good when it comes to the concept of hospitality and the idea of welcoming a stranger. And what it means is to give privileges of insiders to outsiders. Now, if you've ever been a part of a club where there were certain privileges to insiders, then you understand that those don't apply to those that are outside of that club. But the beauty of the body of Christ is everyone is welcome. Everyone belongs to the body of Christ. And our responsibility is to grant privileges of insiders to outsiders. It's to help those who don't feel like they belong to feel like they belong as quickly as possible because they do belong. Every member of the body belongs to the body of Christ. And it's the responsibility of those who feel like, quote, insiders, who feel this feeling of belonging to help those who don't feel like they belong to then feel like they belong. Again, it's a perception-based value. You can't just walk up to somebody and be like, hey, let me tell you what, you belong here. Because if that worked, then I would say it every week. You belong here. In fact, we say it all the time. I preach on it multiple times. I wish that was enough, but it's not because it's about your feelings. It's about you coming to the conclusion through what you have experienced and through your feelings to say, I think I now feel like I belong. I think I now feel like I fit. Not being forced into a certain mold, but to be welcomed accepted and to find a place in the body of Christ because you belong with God's people and it's the responsibility of every member of this body to help those who are trying to come into the body to feel a part of the body. But Paul also talked about how we work together we belong with God's people because we work together. And he, he's using this image of the body of Christ. And just think about like how the simplest task in your life require the most complexity. Like just to write something. Think about what all's involved to grab a pen or a pencil. Think about how your hands and your fingers have to move in such motor-centric ways. Like to be able to grab it in a certain way. And I know everybody holds pens and pencils different ways. So if you hold it differently, don't judge me. I only hold it the right way. So as you hold that pen or pencil, think about what all's involved. Your shoulder's involved. Your arm is involved, but also your brain is involved and you're sending signals down through the nerves, through your arm, down into your wrist, down into your finger, not only to move, but just to hold on to that pen, pen or pencil and then to move it in certain ways to create, if you're really honest, they're like random lines. Have you ever really paid attention to written words? It's just a bunch of lines, maybe curved, maybe straight, that are crafted together in such a way that they form letters that then form words that then form sentences that then write essays and books and whatever love letters, whatever it is that, I mean, I don't know if you still write a handwritten love letter. Good for you if you do. The point is it's an incredibly complex process that we just take for granted. You don't sit there and think about, you know, all the synapses that have to fire in your brain in order for that to happen. You just grab a pen or a pencil and start writing. Yet it shows the complexity of the body and how God created us 
to work together because every member of the body has a God-given task and gift to use for the benefit of the body of Christ. You have some type of gift given to you by God himself through his spirit to be used for building up the body of Christ. Could be a talent, could be a resource, could be an ability, could be an opportunity. Whatever it is that God has gifted to you And I think Jesus, in teaching us about the parable of the talents, shows us that different people have different talents. Some have more, some have less, but they're all designed to be used to build up the body of Christ, to work together. And here's, here's the crazy thing about the body of Christ. It's that we're called to be the hands, the feet, the eyes, the heart, the liver, the appendix, whatever the organ is you want to describe, we're called to be the hands, feet, eyes, heart, mouth of Jesus. The way that God chose to show himself in this world today, amongst other ways, is primarily and especially through the body of Christ. People will meet Jesus when they meet you and when they meet God's people. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that you can't have too many arms. You can't have too many mouths. I mean, I guess in theory, just kidding, you can't. You can't have too many mouths. You can't have too many eyes looking out, looking for people who are suffering. You can't have too many hearts that are compassionate for the vulnerable, for the weak, for the afflicted, for the sick. You can't have too many feet of people that are willing to go and serve. And go take the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't have too many legs that are holding everything up. There's only one head. That's Jesus Christ. He's made that abundantly clear. You can't even have too many pinky fingers. And you think, what is the point of a pinky finger? Great question. But it's there. It's valuable. Because if you lost it, it would hurt, would it not? And whatever your role that you think is in the body, there's room. There's always room. Because we're called to work together as the body of believers. Thirdly, in this whole concept of how you belong with God's people, we belong to each other. We work together. But Paul also gives a warning there in verse 3. He said, be careful not to think too highly of yourself because he knows that there is this trap that every one of us can fall into if we're not careful. There's actually a couple of traps One of the traps that we can fall into is through comparing ourselves to one another. And when we compare ourselves to one another, we can either develop one of two complexities or they're really cancers in the body. When we compare ourselves to one another, one of the complexities that can develop is a superiority complex. Is that I can look and say, oh, I'm so much better because... I can do this, and you can't. I must be better because this is my gift, or this is my area of service, or this is what God's called me to do, and that's more important. That's not Bible. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. That's a superiority complex. But the other thing that can develop is the opposite of superiority. It's an inferiority complex where we only focus on what we're not and what we can't do, and that is also a cancer in the body. We say, well, I must not be as important because I can't do that or I wasn't given that opportunity or I don't have that resource and I don't have that ability. And that's not from God. But the other way that we can 
compare ourselves to one another, this idea of where we can fall into this comparison trap. As Paul said, be careful not to think more highly of yourself than you should. And the danger is that we can begin to think that everything is about me. It's about my desires, my preferences, my opinions. I didn't like that song. I wish he'd sing my song. This is the one that I like. If we do it my way, everything would be perfect. That's funny. I mean, if you would do it my way, it would, but I'm just kidding. It's not all about me. Now, hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that worship does not involve you. Worship does involve you. I think the Bible is very clear that there is a blessing from God for his people. Our worship is to God, but we also receive something from him. We receive a blessing. We receive a perspective on our problems. We receive encouragement as we gather together and we speak to one another and we sing to one another and we share the kindness of God with one another. And he blesses us and he encourages us and he gives us conviction and boldness and whatever it is that we're needing. But the danger that we can fall into is we can say it's all about me, what I want, and my needs. And that's a trap. In fact, I brought a little object this morning. Some of you have seen this before, maybe even this week. I've got some rat traps here. And no, it's not to catch rats around here. Hopefully there's not any. But what's interesting about a rat trap is, uh, well, it hurts, doesn't it? If you've ever accidentally slammed one on your finger, uh, yeah, it's, it's not any fun. And we fall into this comparison trap, and we start comparing ourselves to one another. We start making things about us. We think, this will be better. This will make me look better. This will give me the place to fit. This will make everything about me and my desires and my wants. And you know what happens with a rat trap is that it... It goes off and it catches you and all of a sudden you're stuck, right? And it hurts and it breaks apart the body of Christ and we're called to come together and we're coming together as broken people and it messes us up, messes up the unity. It even messes up our own self-esteem. So what do we need to do in that moment where we're struggling with comparison? John, can I borrow you for a minute? Can I borrow you, John? Come on up here. I didn't ask him before, and he has no idea what he's about to get himself into. John, are you afraid of a rat trap? Yes, good. That's a great answer. You should definitely be afraid of a rat trap, okay? If he had said no, I would have found a different volunteer. Okay, do you trust me? Kind of, okay. I, I mean, I, honest answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, John, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put your hand on the rat trap but I promise you it's not going to hurt. Because when God gets us out of comparison, he does it in a way that doesn't hurt. So I want you to just take your hand flat just like that, okay? Come stand closer. I promise you this is not going to hurt. Keep your fingers straight, like tight as a board. Tight as a board, okay? Place it down. All right, he's done engaged the rat trap. I'm just going to hold his hand there for just a minute, okay? When we find ourselves in the comparison trap, we're there. We've engaged it. We've gone there in our mind. We've started thinking, I think I might be better than, or I'm not as good as. And we know what's going to happen. We know we're going to get stuck. We know that it's not the right thing to do because Paul said, don't think high, more highly of yourself than you should. Think sensibly, 
but I'm human. And sometimes Satan tempts me and he baits me just like on the trap. It makes me think that by comparing myself to someone else, it will actually make me look better. It will help me fit in, but it just leaves me broken, stuck, not fitting in. You good, John? He's good. It's not going to hurt, I promise. What we need to do in that moment is what we talked about last week about our identity. And I'm thankful for Jason leading the song, Who You Say I Am. It's a powerful reminder in that moment when I'm struggling with comparison I need to be reminded of who God says that I am. I'm a child of the king. I'm created in his image. I'm exactly the way that God wants me to be. He loves me for who I am. He's changing me into who he wants me to be. But we don't have to compare ourselves because there's no point. There's no point in the arm comparing itself to the leg. They serve different functions. They're both valuable. If you don't think so, just lose one of them. It hurts. There's no need to compare. Every person is valuable because you're a member of the body. We need to be reminded in that moment of who we are. We need God to come over us and to impress upon us our sense of worth. You're loved. You're valuable. You're accepted. And when he does, he gets us out of the trap. Keep your fingers straight. As tight as you can. Count of three, we're going to pick up your hand. You ready? One, two, three. Did it hurt? Didn't hurt at all. Give him a round of applause. What a brave guy. You can have a seat. And I'm thankful that God is able to get us out of that trap. Because if not, we're stuck. And we just continue this vicious cycle of comparison. You belong with God's people because you belong with God. I read this story about an eight-year-old girl who'd been adopted. She'd actually been adopted twice. You see, her first adopted family, they would, things didn't go so well after they had adopted her, and it was dissolved after a few years, but while she was living with her first family, they had biological children of their own, and they would get ready to go to Disney World. And they would take their biological children to Disney World, but they would leave their adopted daughter back with a family friend. And they never told her why, but she filled in the gap. She said, it's because I'm not good enough, because I don't behave right, because I can't earn my way to Disney World. That family gave her up, and she was adopted by another family. And when that family had learned about what happened with the Disney World story, they planned a trip to Disney World. And in the couple of weeks leading up to their trip to Disney World, this little eight-year-old girl began acting out, I mean, really misbehaving. And finally, one evening, her father sat her down, sat her on his lap and said, what's going on? And she said, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go to Disney World and you're going to leave me behind. He very calmly said to her, are we a family? She said, yes. He said, are we going on this trip as a family? She said, yes. He said, then you're going. The day finally came. They went to Disney World. At the end of that day of spending all day in Magic Kingdom, this little eight-year-old girl was worn out. They got back to the hotel. They laid her down in bed. Her father's tucking her in. And she becomes overwhelmed with emotion. She said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. And it wasn't because I was good. It's because 
I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. Isn't that our hope in Christ Jesus? It's not because we're good. If you think you're good, whoo, bless you. You're not. Not at all. You're rebellious. You're sinful. You've rejected God's most amazing offer of love. Even on your best days, Isaiah would say your righteousness is filthy rags. It's not because you're good. It's because you're his. It's not because I'm good, because I'm not. It's because I'm his. That is the scandalous, outrageous grace that God comes to us time after time after time, pursuing us, saying, you belong with me. And we turn our back and we walk away and we pick sin anyways. He doesn't just shake his hand and knock the dust off. He runs again. He says, you're mine. You're mine. You belong with me. He pursues us time after time, mistake after mistake, sin after sin. Because he's faithful. And he never gives up. Because he knows something that we would do well to learn. We belong with him. We belong with his people. Not because we're good. Because we're his. So today, if you want to become his, you want to belong to Christ Jesus, I want to encourage you to repent of your sin, confess his name, and be baptized into Christ. You'll be added to the body of Christ. You'll find a family that's ready to receive you, a place to belong. If you're a Christian, it's your first time here, we want you so desperately to feel like you belong because you do. You belong here. If your heart's drifted from God and you know that you've not received his grace, you've not been living in, in the love that he is pouring out on you and you need to repent of that, you need to return back to him, you belong with him. And he's pursuing you time after time. Today's an opportunity for you to make everything right so that you can say, I belong to Jesus. If we can help you and encourage you in any way, please let us know as we stand and sing.